Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We are a, a local Glasgow congregation. We are a Scottish registered charity. Um, we're all local individuals. We say this because we don't want anyone to think that we are fly-by-night cowboys or that we are charlatans. We are people who are situated and operate in the Partick area of Glasgow, Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. And you'll find our building at 2 Thornwood Terrace. Go up Dumbarton Road and when you come to the police station, opposite the police station, there's a hill. Go up that hill and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School first. And then you'll find us next door at the crossroads and we meet every Lord's Day on the Sunday at 11 a.m. in the morning and again in early evening at 6 p.m. And we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along and to hear. But, you know, sometimes people think that Christians really are, they have their minds on things above. And maybe many people look upon Christians as people who are taken up with things that really don't matter. And, uh, you know, their minds are set upon heaven and spiritual things. Well, that's true to a certain extent, but we're also ordinary individuals. And we live in the real world, and we have our feet firmly fixed or set upon the earth, the ground, and we know what's going on. And we say this because we come out with the gospel, we come out with the, the biblical gospel, because we recognize that in the day that we find ourselves living in, many, in fact most, don't go to a place of worship. And therefore the vast majority of the population of those who are passing by this afternoon as they shop on Buchanan Street, we will find that none of them really know what the gospel is all about. They will be somewhat ignorant of the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they won't be totally ignorant. They will have heard something about the Lord Jesus and about Christianity. But I put it to you, if I was to ask you what is the very essence and what is the very heart of the Christian gospel this afternoon, I doubt if you could give me an accurate biblical answer. And that's really because the people today, and this is not a complaint, this is not a criticism, it's simply an assessment of reality, that most people don't go to a Christian place of worship, and therefore they are ignorant of the Christian gospel. And that is one reason why we would come out and where we would seek to meet people head on and even for a few moments to present to them something concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Arguably, friends, and some people do argue about this, but arguably the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important person that has ever appeared upon the earth. He has transformed this world. He divided time. 
and sadly today he will divide people. But that's part of his mission, that's part of his calling to come to this world. But we cannot really deny or doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ is the most influential person that has ever appeared. And there are a number of reasons for this. But primarily, the main reason is that he is unique because he is the Son of God. He is God's only begotten Son. God only has one Son. And that Son is none other than the Son of God. And the Son of God, by a wonderful miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. This is what we would call the incarnation. And it truly is a wonder. It is truly something that is stupendous. But it is very basic and it is fundamental to the Christian gospel. Because by the very fact of his incarnation, when the Son of God took upon himself our form and our nature, he came as one who had no sin. He was completely and utterly sinless. He did not carry with him original sin. Being the Son of God and becoming the Son of Man, was indeed a mystery, and is a mystery. And we will recognize that even in eternity we'll never be able to plumb the depths of the, the magnitude of that miracle, that the Son of God, who is the creator of heaven and earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, He should become a person. He should become conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But this was essential. This was absolutely necessary. Because by this he did not contract original sin. Now there's the first thing that we would encounter really in the Christian gospel. Before we can possibly understand the Christian gospel, we must have some realization and some knowledge of what it is to be a sinner. I want to read one or two verses from Mark's Gospel. And indeed, if you're ever going to read a Gospel, this would, uh, this would be a Gospel I would recommend to you. Uh, Mark's Gospel is a short Gospel. It's a Gospel that te tells us about the activities mainly of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it presents Him as a man of action. And we're told in chapter 2, verse 15 of Mark's Gospel, and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, that's Levi's house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. And in that few verses, four verses, I do believe, of Mark's Gospel, we find the reason for the coming of Christ, and we find people who didn't understand why the Lord Jesus Christ came and why He exercised the ministry that He did exercise. Oh, now that's nonsense, sir. The world has been turned upside down because of Christ. To deny the existence of the Lord Jesus is really to deny historical evidence. We've gone from B.C. before Christ to A.D. in the year of our Lord. For someone who didn't exist, that would be absolutely impossible. So that's ridiculous. No one will possibly believe that. Even secular historians will confirm that there was a person called Jesus. Not that we rely upon secular uh, historians. We have it in the Word of God. And the very fact that there is a church today, some 2,000 years after the Lord Jesus came and suffered and died, tells us and is testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed real. He's a real historical figure. And what's more, He's alive even today. But to go back to these verses in Mark that I quoted earlier, the Lord Jesus had recently called Matthew Levi to be one of his disciples. Now, Matthew Levi was a a tax collector. And in uh, biblical terms, he would be called a publican. He was one who collected taxes from his own people, from the Jews, and he gave, he gave taxes then to the Romans who were occupying Israel at this time. And if he was able to collect above his quota, he would keep the balance for himself. And usually tax collectors became very rich. And they were hated and despised by the ordinary people of Israel because they took their money and they gave their money to the Romans. But here was Jesus came along and he saw Matthew Levi, we're told, at the receipt of custom. He was there counting his money and collecting his money. He was thoroughly engrossed in his occupation to make money. And the Lord Jesus Christ came along and said to him, follow me. That's all he said, follow me. And what do we find? Matthew Levi left his receipt of custom. He left the place where he was and he began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on we're told that he, he had a party. Yes, he had a dinner party. And he invited Jesus and his disciples to that party. And he also invited his fellow publicans and sinners he invited his fellow tax collectors to come along that they might be introduced to his new friend. Here was Jesus and his disciples, along with Matthew Levi and some of Matthew's former colleagues. They are all together sitting down and having a great meal in the home of Matthew Levi. Why did Levi do this? Well, Levi wanted to tell his former colleagues that he had embarked a new way of life. He was turning his back upon his former occupation, and now he was going to follow Jesus. And this was really a public farewell to his fellow tax collectors. He was telling them clearly, 
that he had made a move and he was no longer going to be a tax collector. Instead, he was going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gathered his people, his colleagues, that they might be introduced to Jesus also, that they too might turn their backs upon their wicked way of life, and that they too might follow Christ. But what do we find? We find the scribes and the Pharisees, they saw this. And they couldn't understand why Jesus, who was supposed to be a righteous person and a godly person and a person who had come from God, why was Jesus associated with tax collectors and sinners? Surely if he was really a man of God, he would hide himself from these kind of individuals. What did Jesus say in response? They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here Jesus answered them very wisely. He took the illustration of a sick person. If you're sick, you'll go to the doctor. But if you're not sick, you don't want anything to do with the doctor. You don't want to make an appointment with him if you're well, if everything's going okay. It's only when you feel yourself sick or unwell and not quite right, it's then that you will consult medical opinion to see if there's something wrong with you. And if there is something wrong with you, that he might be able to help you. In other words... If you're not sick, you don't go to the doctor. Or if you're not sick, you don't go to hospital. You keep away from these places and people because you don't need them. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And there Jesus is outlining his mission. He has come to call sinners to repentance. Now the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious individuals, was that they did not recognize that they were sinners. They didn't recognize it. You know, friends, the Christian gospel will not flatter us. But the Christian gospel will tell us the truth. It will tell us about how God assesses our lives. And the Bible says to us, not to flatter us, but to inform us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. That's how the Bible assesses your life and my life. We've all, like sheep, we've all gone astray. We've all missed the mark. We've not failed. We have failed to live up to the standard that God has set for us. And it's important to know and for us to understand that the standard is absolute perfection. 
absolute perfection. God is absolutely perfect. And that's what He demands of His creatures in order that they might enjoy communion and fellowship with Him, they must be just like Him. Now, none of us meets this mark. We all have to hand our, hold our hands up and acknowledge that we are sinners in the sight of God. However unpleasant it may be for us, however humbling it may be for us, but nevertheless, we must accept what God's verdict is upon us. Way back in thousands of years ago, not long after the world was formed, mankind sinned. And we will talk about that somewhat later. But mankind sinned. And as a result of that, sin affected the whole of mankind. And God looked upon mankind one day. He looked down from heaven and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was God's assessment upon the whole of mankind before he sent a flood to destroy the earth. God did send a flood, and He did destroy the earth. And only those who were in the, flood, in, the, in the ark were saved. Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their wives. Only eight people were saved. The others were destroyed. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was God's verdict upon ancient mankind. But we're not to think today that modern mankind has changed or is any different, because it's not. Further on in the Bible... The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, what does he say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? And out of the heart come all the issues of life. And that's why we have lying, cheating, murder, adultery, fornication, incest, stealing, robbery, Crimes, all of these things ultimately come out of the heart. And friends, our hearts are just the same as those who were destroyed in the flood. That's the Bible's estimation. That's the Bible's verdict upon your heart and upon my heart this afternoon. And therefore, what Jesus said to these scribes and Pharisees are way back in Mark that I've quoted some time ago to you is relevant for us today. They that are whole have no need of the physician. There is no one who's whole. Every one of us is sinful. None of us is complete. None of us is what we should be. But they that are sick that's you and I 
That's the sinner today. He is sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here, friends, is a very essential element of the Christian gospel. The Lord Jesus began his ministry by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so did the apostles. After the resurrection, and when the Lord Jesus Christ sent them forth to preach the gospel, they were given a commission to go and to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. And we have taken up that mantle today. It's part of the great commission that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to his church to go forth and to preach this gospel. And this is why we come out this afternoon in order that we might take part in the great commission and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus gave the the great commission to his early apostles and disciples, this is what he said, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. There was the disciples given this commission to go forth and to preach the gospel. And do you know where they were to begin? They were to begin in Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about Christianity, you will know that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. And where was he crucified? He was crucified in Jerusalem. But there, that was the place where the early church were to begin to preach the gospel of forgiveness and repentance at Jerusalem, at a place where they hated the Lord Jesus. They said, we will not have this man to reign over us. They said, we have no king but Caesar. They said, crucify him, crucify him. And they did. They showed their hatred for Christ and for his ministry by crucifying him. But here, after the resurrection, and as Jesus was commissioning his church, they were to preach that gospel in the place where he was crucified and hated. And what was the gospel? It was repentance and remission of sins. And therefore, that is to encourage us, friends, because the Lord Jesus Christ would have us to come to him. The Lord Jesus Christ would have us to repent. What does it mean to repent? Well, it quite simply means we have to turn away from our sins. Many people will acknowledge their sins, and many people will suffer for their sins, and many people are sorry for their sins, and some people will go and confess their sins to a minister of religion or to a priest or to some other. But that's not repentance. Repentance is something more. It is a step further. Repentance means that we're prepared to turn our backs upon our sin. It's to turn away from our sins. It's not enough to acknowledge them. It's not enough to confess them. It's not enough to be punished for them. We must turn from our sins. And that's what repentance is. 
It's to turn away from our cheating. It's to turn away from our lying. It's to turn away from our gossiping. It's to turn away from our fornication or adultery or homosexuality. It's to turn away from breaking God's law. That's what repentance is. And when we repent, what do we promise? We will have the forgiveness of our sins. This is what was promised to the people of Jerusalem, to those who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ was prepared to offer them forgiveness of sins. You say one more thing about homosexuality. As a lesbian, I will report you. You're free to do that. You're free to do that, dear. I didn't single out anything. I spoke generally fornication, adultery, incest. to 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 discriminate against anybody. No, it's not hate speech. It's truth speech, sir, to tell the truth. It's truth. You can be reported for that. You can do that. You're free to do that. You're free to report. My name is Andrew Allen. And I'm not ashamed of what I said. And I'm not going to repent. Well, you shouldn't be, because I've told the truth. We live in a day and a generation when people will not put up with the truth, friends. But here we have in God's Word absolute truth. And we're not afraid to declare it. And uh, what I was saying before the lady spoke to me, that the very essential part of the Christian gospel is that we must repent. We must repent from our sins. I must repent from my sins, and you must repent from your sins. And it's only through repentance that we can have forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to God. And what do we, how do we know what sin is? Well, sin is a breach of God's law. And what is God's law? God's law is found in the Ten Commandments. And what do we find in the Ten Commandments? Well, the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Here God is warning us about idolatry. We are to worship the one true and the living God and Him alone. He's the one who made us. He's the one who formed us. He's the one who has given us life. He's the one who has given us breath. He's the one who has given us food and clothing and and water. He's the one who has given us life. And we are to worship Him and Him alone. And the likelihood is, friends, that we're not worshipping Him at all. Instead, we are probably thinking about other things and other gods. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, he's talking here about images and statues. Well, no, he's not. We know that some people do worship gods like that, but we have more sophisticated um, gods than that. The likelihood is, friends, that you yourself are your God. Anything that takes the place of the living God is an idol. And I ask you today, even consider your life today, when you get up in the morning, did you consider the God who made you and formed you? Did you give Him thanks for rest and sleep? Did you give Him thanks for your food and clothing? Did you give Him thanks for life? Did you give Him thanks for all that you enjoy? Have you acknowledged Him at all? The likelihood is, friend, that you have not acknowledged God. Instead, you have probably been wrapped up in your own activities, and therefore, more than likely, your God is yourself. Or maybe it's your 
entertainment, or maybe it's your employment, or maybe it's your spouse or your partner, or maybe it's your money or your possessions. The likelihood is that we have many gods, and they are idols. Anything that takes the place that rightly belongs to our great God is an idol. And he says in his word, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He goes on in the second commandment, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or under the earth. And here he's talking about worshipping God the way that he has prescribed. We cannot worship God any way we like. We cannot do it. We have to worship him the way that he has prescribed. What is the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. How many people blaspheme the name of the Lord our God today? How many people, even in ordinary conversation, even as they pass by here this afternoon, take the Lord's name in vain? How often do you hear it on the media? the Lord's name in vain. Well, it's a breach of the third commandment. And people might think very little of it, but God thinks a lot of it. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. God's name is holy. God's name is special. It's only to be used with reverence. And so often today, it is used in a blasphemous sense. These are just three commandments that I've highlighted. I will highlight some others later on. But friends, these commandments reveal unto us that we have broken God's law. And if we've broken God's law, then we are sinners in the sight of God. And because we're sinners, therefore, we have a problem. What is the problem? Well, we are estranged and we're separated from God. But here is the very heart, the very essence of the Christian gospel. God has done something about our greatest problem. He has done it. What has He done? He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer and to die for sinners. And that's why Jesus said to these people in the, at the at the supper that Mark was holding, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is something that we must settle down, sir. This is something that we must recognize. This is something we must recognize that in the sight of God, we're sinners. And this is a real problem because we cannot address this problem ourselves. It's too great a problem. It's too powerful an issue. But blessed be God, He has done something about it in the Christian gospel. We're going to take a few moments break. We're here from Partick, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you uh, this afternoon. Good afternoon. 
It's good to be here. If I switch it on, it would help. Good afternoon. It's good to be here again. <coughs> We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road, and when you come to the police station, go up the hill opposite the police station, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School, and our building is next door to the school at the crossroads. We would extend a warm welcome to you. Come along any Lord's Day, Sunday, at 11 a.m., or again in the early evening at 6 p.m., and you'll be made most welcome. We also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. So please make your way along. You would be more than welcome to come along any time where you might hear something more concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're glad to be out here this afternoon. And we're glad that you're able to join with us. And we want to present something of the claims of Christ to you this afternoon. Because in the time that we live in, there is great ignorance regarding the Christian gospel. What's it all about? We're at that season in the time of year that's called the festive season. Christmas time, many people call it, when some recognize the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, His birth. What's it all about? Well, it's about the fact that the Son of God came, left the realms of glory, became a man, lived a life of obscurity and poverty, began his public ministry about the age of 30, and ministered for about three years. And uh, he went around teaching, preaching, healing, doing good, demonstrating that he was the long-appointed and long-for Messiah. But he was rejected by his people, and the Jews crucified him. But he was taken down from the cross, dead, buried in a tomb. The tomb was sealed, but on the first day of the week, Sunday, he arose. Death could no longer hold him. And this was all part of God's plan in order that he might be able to work out a salvation whereby sinners might be saved. It was all part of God's great master plan. And as the Apostle Paul said on one occasion in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. There we have the reason why the Lord Jesus came, why the Son of God became the Son of Man. It was in order to save sinners. Now, we don't like to be addressed as sinners. 
but we cannot avoid the truth of the gospel. This is why the Lord Jesus came, in order to seek and to save sinners. Who are the sinners? Now you might well say to me, well, the sinners, surely they are the ones who are in prison today. They're the sinners. And the ones who are not in prison, well, they're not the sinners. Well, there are plenty of sinners in prison. That is true. No, thank you, sir. I'm quite happy where I am. But all of us are sinners. That's God's verdict. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is what God says to us from heaven. This, was, this is what the Apostle Paul was writing to the Romans. He was outlining the gospel to them. And he was first of all establishing the fact that whether we be Jew or Gentiles, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners in the sight of God. We've all broken God's law. God has given us ten commandments. We are to live by these commandments. He has given them to us in codified form. They have been written for us by the finger of God when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. But more than that, the law has been inscribed in your heart. It's part of the nature of every single person. Yet because of sin, that law in the heart has been somewhat defaced. That's why the Lord gave it to us in codified form. And that's why we have it in our Bibles today. Because the more that we look at the law of God and the more that we consider it, the more we come to the realization that we have broken God's law and therefore in the sight of God we are sinners. Now this is a great problem. It is a great problem. It's a problem that mankind cannot address. Even the most powerful individuals, those who have power and authority over us today in our parliaments, in our universities, in all places of our intellectual pursuits, in our industries, in our commerce, whatever we want to go, we will find that men there cannot address our greatest need and problem. It's only been addressed by the Lord our God Himself. He recognizes the seriousness of the problem, and He has done something about it. You may well ask me then, but what has He done? Well, He saw us lost and perishing. He saw us without hope in this world. He saw us heading towards a lost eternity. And he sent forth the Lord Jesus Christ in order that he might fulfill the law of God that we have broken and that he might pay the price for breaking that law, for mankind breaking that law. That's why Christ was punished. And therefore, the Lord Jesus is the one who has come from heaven. He has lived a perfect life. He has kept the law of God entirely. He has never broken it at all. 
not in thought, not in word, or not in deed. He is the only perfect man that lived a perfect life. All of us, without exception, have broken the law of God. And therefore, the Bible, God's Word, tells us that we're sinners. And because we're sinners, we need to be saved. How can we be saved? The only way to be saved is to repent and to believe the gospel. And what do we mean by believe the gospel? We are to believe in the God of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to believe in what he has done. What has he done? He has lived a perfect life, and he has suffered in the room and in place of sinners. And if we believe on him, what he has done, who he is, then, friends, we can have the gift of our sins forgiven. We can be reconciled to God. We can have peace with God. What does the Bible say? Read it for yourselves. Read it in, for instance, Romans. The end of Romans. It talks about He was delivered for our offenses and raised to life for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel brings to an individual. It brings peace. Peace with God. This is what we don't have by nature. As you pass by this afternoon, there may be many things upon your mind. But I'll tell you, there's something that comes to your mind often. What is it? Well, you don't have peace with God. Now you might say, well, this is not my problem. I don't know what you're talking about. But yes, we have to tell you, this is what we find. Yes, yes, well, by all means, sir. Hold on. Glad to be back after that wee interruption there. Glad to help out uh, Police Scotland. We do respect the, the authorities that have been placed over us because the Bible tells us that all the powers that be are ordained of God. But we're here this afternoon from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing a local congregation and we meet at two Thornwood Terrace. Go up Dumbarton Road, you'll come to the police station and opposite the police station you'll find a hill. Go up the hill and you'll come first of all to Thornwood Primary School and then you will meet our building next door at the crossroads. We give you a warm welcome on the Lord's Day, Sunday at 11 a.m. And again, we meet at the early evening at 6 p.m. Or we have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. And we extend a warm welcome to you, and you'll hear something more concerning uh, the Christian gospel, concerning uh, the person work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's obviously very limited what we can do here with people just passing by. What we seek to do here is merely plant the gospel seed. We are like the good sower, the parable of the sower. What does he do? 
he has in his hand some seed and he spreads it all over in the hope and in the anticipation that that seed will bear fruit. And that's why we come out this afternoon and on other occasions. This is not a novelty for us. Usually we're out once a week, weather permitting, and one week we're on Buchanan Street, and then the other week we tend to be more local. We're at Partick Station. But we come essentially with the same message because this is a message that all of us needs to hear without exception. This is a message for every single man, woman, and child. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God and we're all accountable to God and one day we'll stand before uh, the living God and we'll give account of our lives and that will be an awesome day. And how will we fare on that terrible day when we'll stand before King Jesus as he sits upon his great white throne? And the Bible tells us about this. Paul said to those in Athens, to those learned people in Athens, he told them the same gospel that we're seeking to tell you this afternoon. And part of that gospel proclamation to those in Athens was, he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And the Apostle Paul was talking about the resurrection and talking about the day of judgment. And he was telling them that day is absolutely certain. It's fixed in God's decree and that day will come. And God has already appointed the judge. And that judge will be none other than Jesus Christ himself. Is that not quite remarkable? Because here, this afternoon, we are out and we're seeking to tell you that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And that's what he wants to be known as. He has come to this world in order to seek and to save that which was lost. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And this is what Jesus would have himself to be known as, a Savior. But there's another side to the coin. One day, the Savior will be our judge. And this is what we must prepare ourselves for, because we cannot avoid this. It is true, we acknowledge that today, here and now, upon this earth, you can live your life without any reference to Jesus Christ. You can dismiss him. You can be like a, another individual that passed by earlier and said that he never existed. How foolish, how foolish to deny the historical Jesus and to say that he never existed. But one day all of that foolishness and all of that unbelief will be dispelled in a moment. Because one day you'll stand before King Jesus. Yes, you may laugh. Yes, you may shake your head. Yes, you might think that the preacher has lost his marbles. All of these things have been said to me. But 
I tell you, friends, and this is something actually you know, it's in your DNA, you know there's going to be a day of judgment. You know that you will stand before Almighty God in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall give account of your lives. Paul says on another occasion, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Here we are, all of us, we're all different, but all of us have secrets. We've got secrets from our spouses, secrets from our parents, secrets from our children, secrets from our best friends, secrets from our employers and our neighbors. We have secrets that we would never like to disclose. But one day, friends, all our secrets shall be laid bare. Your life shall be exposed. One day, it'll all be revealed in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And Paul goes on again to remind the people so then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one of us will be perf personally accountable before God. One day, friends, there shall be a resurrection, and everyone that has ever lived in this world shall come to life again. Yes, our bodies may well be burnt they may well be in dust, but they shall be reconstituted. They shall, and they shall stand before King Jesus. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Isaiah says in verse 23 of chapter 45, he continues the same theme of judgment. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear, every knee shall bow before King Jesus. Everyone shall give account of their lives, of what they've thought, of what they've said, of what they've done to King Jesus. How will you fear that day? How will it be for you that day? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And the Apostle Paul then goes on and says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. This is why we come out this afternoon. This is why we leave the warmth of our homes. And we come out to bring you this message that we will give account of ourselves. And it will be a terrible thing to stand before King Jesus in our own righteousness. What does that mean? It means if we don't have a Savior, we will be condemned on that day. That's what the Christian gospel is all about. It's a way whereby we might have our sins forgiven 
and whereby we might be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible gives special exhortations to the young? Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And these words were written in the Old Testament by, at that time, the, the man who was the most wisest man that ever lived in the earth, King Solomon, who's known for his wisdom. And after a life, a full life, he came to this conclusion, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. What is he saying to us today? He's saying to us today, young people, be reconciled to God. Young people, dedicate your life to the Lord Jesus and to His service. Young people, take up the cross and follow Christ today. Give the best part of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll never ever be disappointed. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. And maybe you're saying to me, well, the days of my youth are gone. Well, the exhortation is to you also. Remember now thy Creator in your middle age years or in your old age years. Remember Him. Call upon Him. He is the one who alone can save. He is the one who alone can reconcile you to God. He is the only one that can take you to heaven. He's the only one that can deal with your greatest need, your greatest problem. And what is that? It is your sin. You know, people don't realize the great problem that their sin is. Many people live in this world today and they think that the government can answer all their needs and deal with all their problems. And as we seem to go through this life, what happens? Government gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It takes on more things in our lives. And we seem to rely upon the government to sort all our problems out. Well, here is one problem that no politician can deal with. What is it? It is our sin. And the only one who can deal with it is God Himself. And He has done that. He has done that in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people, friends, are trusting their governments today and their politicians. Well, I ask you, well, no, you're not to trust me. You're quite right. The ladies bang on. I'm not telling you to trust me. I'm telling you to trust another. I'm telling you to trust the Lord Jesus, whom I am trusting. Anyway, as I was saying, people today, they look upon the government and their politicians that they can deal with all their problems. They can deal with all their problems. Do you know this? Do you know this? that many of our politicians cannot tell the difference between a man and a woman. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
And do you think they're going to solve the problem of sin? Do you think they're going to solve all our problems? Not a chance. Not a chance. Friends, we need to look to another. We need to look to the Lord our God alone to deal with our greatest problem. What is that problem? That problem is our sin. But blessed be God, it has been dealt with in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is something you must do. What must you do? You must receive Him. You must believe upon Him. You must trust upon Him. You must call upon Him. You must rely upon His mercy. That's what you must do. And He says to us this afternoon, all of us here, all who are hearing, He says to us this afternoon, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you, and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For My yoke is easy, and My burden is light. There, friends, is a full-orbed gospel invitation from the Savior Himself. You'll find it in His Word. Go to Matthew chapter 11, the last three verses of that chapter, where it begins, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what He's promised us. This is what He has secured for us by His life and death and resurrection. We're going to take a short break. We'll recharge our batteries, but it's good to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing, and we're glad to be here. We're glad you're out and about, and we hope that you'll hear something that might benefit your soul. And we have one or two out handing out gospel tracts. We would be delighted if you would take a tract, and maybe you can't read it right now, but take it home with you and read it. And if you do take a tract, and please don't put it in the bin. If you don't want it after taking it, then return it to us. We'll happily take it back from you, and someone else will no doubt take it on another occasion. We're glad to be here from Partick in order to bring something of the good news to you. And the good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ has come from heaven. He has suffered and died. Why did He suffer and died? Well, He suffered and He died because He suffered and died as a substitute. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That is what sin deserves. That's what every sin deserves. Even the sins that we might regard as slight and small. But there's nothing slight or small in the sight of Almighty God who is infinite. And ultimately when we sin, we sin against Him. We sin against an infinitely holy and upright God. And therefore it is offensive to Him. 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, he lived a perfect life, he's the only one that perfectly obeyed the law of God. And he did this in order that he would be able to offer up his life as a sacrifice, as a perfect sacrifice. And that's what he did. And when he did this, he was paying the price for mankind's sin. And the very essence and the heart of the gospel is that when we believe upon Christ, His righteousness is given to us. When you believe, His righteousness is imputed unto unto us. And He takes upon Himself our sin. He has paid the price that we should be paying. But Christ has stood in in our room and in our place. For he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is what we find in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is glorious. It's a wonderful transaction that takes place. And it's all been masterminded by God in eternity, even before creation, and even before sin. God had this plan whereby the Son of God would become the Son of Man, and He would come to this world, and He would undertake a salvation in order to save His people from their sins. But it's all very well us talking about Jesus and talking about what He has done. Yes, of course, we must outline the work of Christ. We must tell people of this person and the glorious transaction that He undertook. And we do this because the Bible would have you put your faith and your hope and your trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he goes on, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how, can, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? There the Apostle Paul is saying, how can people possibly believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved if they don't know about him? And that's why we have preachers. And this is what a gospel preacher is. He is someone who will tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. But even before that, he has to somewhat tell you why you need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that we find today that many people are ignorant of this. 
they're ignorant of themselves. They don't really know the kind of people that they are. They don't really know of what they're like in the sight of God. You see, God would have us know that we are sinners. Sinners by nature. That is, we're born sinners. We have inherited a sinful nature from our parents. And our parents have inherited their sinful nature from their parents. And so it goes on right back until Adam and Eve, the first parents who were created perfectly, but they did not obey God, and they sinned. And the moment they sinned, they became sinners, and their whole relationship with God was changed. And we have inherited their guilt and their sinful nature, and therefore the moment that we come out of the womb, we are sinners. And that soon evidences itself by a life that has been transformed. What happens? We commit all kinds of sin. That's what happens. No longer does the, the babe remain a babe, but once the babe starts to move, or even before that, it begins to reveal its sinful nature. And that's why our children have to be taught. They have to be disciplined. They have to be brought up. They have to be, know what's right and what's wrong. That has to be made clear to them because they have a sinful nature which manifests itself in sinful actions. And this is the same for us all. We are sinners and we need to be saved. That's why the Bible tells us we've all like sheep, we've all gone astray. And that's why the Bible tells us, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And there, the, the prophet is telling us what happens when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. The price of our sins has been paid for by another. And therefore, when we come to Christ, we are transformed, we are changed, and our relationship with God is renewed. We are reconciled to Him. And the Bible calls this being justified by faith. It talks of the Lord Jesus being delivered for our offenses and raised to life for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you possibly get a big... Because when you go against that junk up the only way to be saved is to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And He's the only Savior. There is no other Savior. He Himself did say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And what He was in essence saying there, no one will go to heaven. No one will go to glory 
No one will have their sins forgiven, and no one will be reconciled to God unless it is through the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Well, where did they come from? They came from each other. That's where they came from. That's obvious, surely. Perfectly obvious. Perfectly clear. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, and all people have come from Adam and Eve. We're all part of one family. There's only one race. It's a human race. We know that today, in the society that we live in, racism is regarded as a hot potato. But the Bible doesn't recognize different races. There's only one race. We've all come from one set of parents. We're all part of the human race. And we're all sinners. And we all need to be saved. And the only way to be saved is to have Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's why the early church went through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and indeed to the ends of the earth with this gospel. For salvation is found in none other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And the only way to be saved is to have Christ as our Lord and Savior. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And that's what you must do. We have sought to outline something of this person and of his work. He is the perfect Son of God who became the Son of Man. He lived a perfect life. He offered up a perfect sacrifice which was acceptable in the sight of God. He rose victorious over the grave on the third day. He now has ascended up into heaven. He sits at God's right hand and he's waiting for that day when he will return in power and in glory. And you are to put your faith and your hope and your trust upon Him and upon Him alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And that's why we come out this afternoon, as we have done on other occasions, to draw your attention to this person and to draw your attention to the fact, friends, that you can only be saved in Him. And if you're not in Him, what end can you expect? What happens to us when we pass into eternity? Where will you go? Where will your soul go? Where will you be throughout the ages of eternity? Well, if you have Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be with Him. But what if you don't have Christ? Where will you be? The Bible tells us very solemnly, and it warns us, and it tells us there's only two places that we can go to after we pass from the scene of time. We will either go to heaven to be with Christ, or we'll go to that terrible place called hell. How can you avoid hell? The only way is to have Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the message. That's the message that we must heed 
We dare not dismiss this message. This is what Christ has come to do. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what we are by nature. We're lost. We're estranged. We're separated from God. And the only way to be reconciled, the only way that that relationship can be restored is through Jesus Christ the Lord. And therefore, friends, the ultimate question before us all this afternoon is, where will you spend eternity? Life is short, is it not? Yes, it is. Life is short. Death is certain. Sin is a problem. Christ is the cure. And in order to be in heaven and glory, we must have Christ. That's why we come out this afternoon that we might introduce this person to you and that you might seek Him. Because the day will come, there will be a day of judgment and we'll stand before Him. Will He be your judge? Or will He be your Savior? Will He be the one that takes you to glory? Or will He be the one who will condemn you on that day? Depart from me, he says, ye cursed. Therefore, come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Have your sins forgiven. Be ready. Be prepared for eternity. Because eternity is just around the corner. Life is short. Death is certain. Sin is the problem. But Christ is the cure. We're going to draw our time to a close. It's been good to be here this afternoon. We're from Partick, Free Church of Scotland continuing. Make your way to our, our building. We're there at 2 Thornwood Terrace, up to Barton Road, opposite the police station. Go up the hill there. You'll come to Thornwood Primary School. And then next door you'll come to Partick, Free Church of Scotland. We'll give you a warm welcome. Come along on Sunday, the Lord's Day at 11 or 6 or Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. And may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you uh, this afternoon.